Hey everyone, John and Andrew here. Welcome to the podcast. On today's episode, put down the damn phone. Fuck the agenda. And get your shit together. This is Obstacle Course. Here we go. <laughs> Man, we just hit the holy trinity of intros, buddy. Yeah. Three, three profanities. Three for three. Yeah, we are um, We are going to get the mature rating from, from iTunes real quick. Yeah, and again. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, just as per every episode. But um, so we did another roundtable today. Yeah, we we're talking about attention, attention to details, attention to profanities. Yeah, roundtable was your idea, and this is a, this is our second now, and soon to be, we'll have another one soon. Uh, why do you like like the roundtable? So I'm going to give credit where it's due. It was actually Sarah's idea. Oh, Sarah. Yeah. Well done, Sarah. My lovely partner, Sarah. Yeah. So um, I think just the idea of getting different perspectives on a similar topic. I, it's just it invites a lot of interest a lot of creativity uh, and just illustrates how people who are who live in the same city who have many of the same interests can have completely different viewpoints and all of them completely legitimate on the same topic and and it's not even that they would disagree it's just that you can kind of start throwing out the topic some some questions that are similar mm-hmm. and get really distinct articulate intelligent observations on the same topic i just think it's it's fascinating and that was definitely the case today with mave wade and mike i mean same topic three totally different takes and life experiences and pearls like gems Mm -hmm. there's gems in every episode but but there'll be something it's almost like a three for one I yeah. think that's I think that's one reason I like the roundtables too. Is it really kind of feels like a three for one? Not not meaning it's better than the one, no. <laughs> but 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 that you really do get three great stories and perspectives in one episode. Well, and the the reason that we choose these topics is because they are huge obstacles in our society. Yeah, uh, attention is uh, as our our good friend Seth Godin describes it is the most precious commodity. True is yeah. people's attention. We're all battling for one another's attention and really for our own attention and there's all of these huge corporations like you look at google and apple and microsoft and and facebook like those are huge corporations that all have like the most expensive stock prices in the world and i i don't check that thing regularly but <laughs> i was like well you know but they're up there yeah for and sure. and why because we provide those companies with our attention constantly we are Mm -hmm. always on google we're always on facebook yeah we're always paying attention to our iphone and and there's huge value in that so you know what happens when we are constantly paying attention to devices to distractions um what what are we losing our attention on well and i think what it is is we lose our attention on the fact that we've lost our attention and this just happened to us like 15 minutes ago we were waiting for one of our guests to log on and you were in the middle of telling me something quite profound actually and i didn't even realize i was in the middle of sending an email to somebody <laughs> and then you just sort of like did what anybody would do you're like well you know i guess you're not really listening so i'll, I'll tell you later and, and then i was like oh shit i'm not really listening no, no, and but I, <laughs> what was your immediate reaction i was like oh uh, i'm listening <laughs> which is what we say right oh no 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 i got gotcha. you yeah. i got gotcha. yeah. Yeah, you yeah Listen, folks, you can't listen if you're not looking into their eyes, mm-hmm. right? Not in a creepy way, but that's why we like podcasting because we we have that attention, right? Yeah. But 
and you know what? Maybe the thing I was sending was super important. And in this case, it actually was. And it was timely. But, you know, a lot of the time, folks, it's not important. We're like, mm-hmm. oh, geez, I just got to, someone just liked my ham sandwich I posted last night. <laughs> <laughs> or a picture of my dog. Oh, cool, eh? Yeah. And, but I didn't notice. Like, it was so, it's almost becoming an ingrained habit, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. We, yeah. another interesting thing on that is if you ever notice if someone else that you're, around picks up their phone you immediately pick up your pick phone up your or at least phone, have yeah. the urge like oh i should check my instagram check my stuff is what we say yeah it's yeah. like that attention is broken for sure you feel that attention being broken yeah. and then your instinct is like oh i need to replace that lack of attention with something else that might be going on it's yeah and we don't just talk about devices in this conversation no we do in one of the three calls with with mave uh significant Part of the conversation was about how much um, I or phones in general demand and suck up our attention. And Netflix too. She mentioned Netflix Anonymous that she belongs to. <laughs> yeah, for sure. I mean, there, there's a ton of different yeah. places out there that are that are designed to stimulate our brains and steal our attention mm-hmm. because they make money from that. Is is the fact of the matter? I, I mean, even um, studies have shown that. It's not just light that um, catches the attention of our eyes, but uh, changes in light. Mm. So if you ever notice you're like sitting in a restaurant or whatever, and maybe you're having an amazing meal, but your eyes just keep wandering up to the TV that's showing like horse racing or like a a DIY show or something that's just like not actually interesting to you. Oh, I see what you're saying. (laughs) I was like, maybe, which bar are you in? <laughs> maybe I shouldn't have used those examples because you're probably just your attention is now on those. But you're you just you're you're anywhere and your eyes just divert to a, sure. a TV or a screen yeah, sure. because our eyes naturally are yeah. drawn to changes in light. Mm-hmm. And we, we can't change that. That's how we're biologically created. But it we can learn that and be aware of it and then maybe begin to avoid it and maybe start using less devices or shutting the devices down so that we're, we're not just slaves of attention. Well, to, with to that those. in mind, like really bad idea to use them before bed, mm-hmm. but how many people do? I mean, they even show it in movies and TV. They're always sitting in bed typing and stuff. And it's just like, that's a normal thing. Yeah. Or some people say, I just fall asleep with my phone, you know? And it's just science has also shown that that doesn't help you fall asleep. It actually makes it worse. For sure. Uh, we're, you know, we're, we're on devices again, but it's, it's not, it really isn't all about devices. I, I think the big question is, is who is in control of your attention? Right. And right. your attention is absolutely precious. It, and it is a finite resource. You can only have your attention on one thing at a time, truly, as you showed earlier. <laughs> but I, I am a one-track mind, too, in well, the extreme. Yeah, but yeah. what is your attention on? Who's in control of your attention? And, sure. and are you giving your attention to what is most important or just what's like loudest, brightest, shiniest, sexiest, um, you know, most uh, maybe even... Um, disturbs you or disagrees with you or or um pisses you off the most because people get their your attention by by being outlandish I mean, and, and extreme as well just talking about drama right just getting yeah. caught up in all the drama which is which is life which is the human condition which is the internet which is but also real life yeah. i mean office drama i mean we just 
we're social creatures and i think that's part of this whole thing so we are social creatures whether you like it or not and we do need that connection but when it goes bad right then then we can shift our attention to things that aren't necessarily good for us right for sure now what, what i want you to share for a little bit when when you're in the mountains on that that amazing trip yeah or when you were cut off i mean you're at the bottom of the planet and you went, I believe, days without phone and social media. And, oh, and yeah. Like, what changes did you notice in yourself? Um, I almost become a different person. And Sarah would maybe wow. even say that I do. Um, because it, I just get more relaxed. Mm. Just being disconnected from all of those stimuli and uh, responsibilities and, and duties and the way I should present myself and blah, blah, blah. Um, I just become a, a lot more zen and chill and happy um and and i'm not an unhappy person generally but um there is a marked difference and a big part of that i mean part of it is because i'm really living within my values of exploring adventuring um you know spending all my time with someone i really care about uh you know doing what's really important um and making great connections and so that's part of it but it's also just a, a removal of distractions completely and, and being fully present. So it's it's one of the one of the things I love most about um, just being in nature in, in general. Well, and, you know, I think most people, if if they could tear themselves away from from here we're back to device, but to the, from a computer or that digital experience and went out in nature, most of them would would say, "But boy, that was kind of nice actually." But they would still get sort of quickly sucked back into the. You well, there, know, as soon as they get back, there's a bit of a withdrawal effect. Yeah. You know, Maeve talked about it as right. w- with um, taking a social media um, fast, or right. or um, she banned herself. Right. Um, there's that for that first little while, you're a little bit like Ugh, fidgety. Yeah, yeah like oh, yeah. I wonder what's happening on my feed right now. Right, right. Um, or like there might be emails that I should be checking. So there is that period of of the withdrawals, and you get the shakes. <laughs> yeah. But um, but you get past it, and then mm-hmm. uh, you know it, it it lessens its grip. Yeah, for sure. Well, I think that's about enough of us talking. Let's uh, let's turn it over to our our three amazing guests for today. All right. Thanks, folks. Enjoy. Welcome, Wade Smith, back to the podcast. Thank you. You're still doing your your thing at Brissant's Coaching. We had you on quite a few episodes ago now telling of uh, your incredible tales from disarming bombs underwater to uh, slamming into a deer and and changing your identity so uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah I guess that's in a nutshell yeah <laughs> now, now he disarms people yeah mm-hmm. yeah oh yeah <laughs> well, well, yeah I like that can I use that one <laughs> yeah you can <laughs> So there's a little teaser into Wade, everyone, if you want to go back and check that full episode out. Um, but for now, we're, we're kind of, we're honing in on uh, on the topic of attention and what we give our attention to and what, what takes our attention maybe without our... Uh, our Permission? or Permission, yeah, or, or awareness. So one place that, John, you, you suggested we start was uh, when, when you 
initially reached out to, to Wade for this conversation. What was the reaction? Yeah, Wade was, I was like, hey, we can send you a couple questions, man. And he's like, fuck agendas. But, but he said it with smiley faces. So like it was, it was adorable. And uh, that's just Wade. I mean, if you get to know Wade, that's Wade. He, he doesn't like the agenda. He likes being in the moment. Um, and so I guess what we were thinking for, for this is um, when, when you think about what you give your attention to, how does that connect with how you said you don't like agendas? Hmm. Well, everything's planned out, you know, in a, in, in a, um, everything's planned out without, without us knowing it really when it comes down to it. Mm-hmm. And John, you, I mean, you've, you've, you've been in this realm before mm-hmm. of, uh, of just knowing that there's like, there's a bigger plan for everything. And we really don't have like that much control over what really happens in the world right? or what happens to us or, um, and, but we try to, right? <laughs> yeah, for sure. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, and then and then by doing so, you know, create these little mini kind of operations every day of like, okay, we're gonna plan this out, and we're gonna like uh, think about all the questions that are gonna come, and then we're going to um, think about all the answers that could could happen, and then uh, when he says that. I'm going to come back with this really witty and brilliant thing to say. <laughs> right. and everybody will think that I'm really, really cool, really, really smart. And everybody's going to love me. And amen. <laughs> <laughs> right. So true. And then yeah. when everything goes completely opposite way, then have a complete meltdown. Right. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, totally. And you've, you know, you're uh, talking about the bomb disposal earlier and that's one huge similarity is, um, is that nothing ever goes and not just bomb disposal, actually, in the military in general. Operations are planned out and planned out and planned out, and nothing ever actually happens the way that it's meant to. Mm-hmm. And and then what really comes down to it is the ability to to adapt and overcome. That's like a military term, adapt and overcome. Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, and in this situation right now, when we're talking, you know, it's like, I have no idea what's coming up next because I haven't, I haven't planned anything. I haven't like looked at any questions mm-hmm. or like anything else. Um, yeah. Also it reminds me of this project that I'm, that I'm working on right now um, through uh, rural roads. I'm doing a master's in global leadership and the course I'm taking right now is about project di- or project management. Mm-hmm. And I remember how project management. I did some courses when I w- when I was serving, and it was it was kind of like cool. It was fun, and it was like it was like, and and now I'm 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 looking at it, going, oh, it's the most painful thing in the world, and my attention goes everywhere else. That's when like when you when you ask me if I'd like to do this, I'm like, yes. That means I'm not reading about project management. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> right. Yeah. So, what what I'm hearing you say is is paying attention to things that are out of our control or trying to plan everything in the future that is just inevitably going to go a different way is, is not what you want to be basing your attention on. So how do you find the balance between not planning out everything perfectly because you know, it's just not going to go that way and, and being feeling prepared or, or feeling comfortable because for some people, if, if they they have no idea what's going to happen all the time, that would cause panic or anxiety. Uh, so where where do you find that balance? 
Mm. Hmm. The first thing that comes to mind is commitment. And then the next two things are, are attachment and resignation. Mm-hmm. And where, where it's all coming from. Like, in the case of this conversation we're having right now, having those prescribed kind of questions beforehand, it really lives in that world of, of, you know, being attached to an outcome. Right. Yeah. Because you've already created it. Right. That question. And it's like, to me, it takes a huge amount of energy to live in that day to day thing. And I, I see that political system in, in our everyday lives at, at work and, and whatnot. Whereas what I like to, what I like to, uh, to do instead of project management, like create a project and just like, and just like, what if it to death, which is something I remember doing in the military a lot. Like, what if, what if, what if, what if we finally say, okay, there's, there's always going to be another, what if let's just do it. Um, instead of all of that, really coming into the heart space to create that dream or that vision of the future and for also from that place of commitment and from that place of love and not when it's all based in, it can really be a very, very kind of a, a double-sided sword where you can come from that place of love or you can come from that place of fear where you're just, you know, you're just like, Oh my God, I have to get this done. And, for sure. and, um, and then that's when the overthinking comes in. And all the energy goes goes towards reaching that specific outcome. I've talked to a lot of a lot of people who who have who live a life or have lived a life where they plan their whole life out in regards to like their financial well being, for instance. Very little on the other on the other aspects of of uh, mental or spiritual or physical well being. Just but looking at that financial piece and going, okay, well. I'm going to work until I'm, you know, 60 or whatever, and I'm going to save up this much money and then I'm going to retire and I'm going to have everything paid for. And it's like, Hey, cool. But what's missing there? Mm -hmm. You know, there's, there's, there's a whole bunch missing because those pieces don't, don't, don't always line or go the way that you plan it to go. And what else is missing is there's no big picture there. Like there's no, there's no dream. I'm going to retire and play golf, say, for instance, right? Mm-hmm. There's, there's no purpose in, in getting up every morning and play golf. Well, and one thing I hear you saying in all that weight and, and, and thank you, that was, that was great is when we plan it all out and we're attached to the outcome, it's almost like we're coming from a place of what's the worst that can happen. And I'm going to try and prevent that. Like it's that place of fear that you're talking about. But we had a guest on uh, several months ago who asked the the reverse question, what's the best possible thing that can happen? And that almost seems to be getting at the mm-hmm. heart of what you're talking about as we look ahead and you say, if, if they don't send me questions and we just talk, what's the best possible thing that can happen? Well, maybe we'll, we'll stumble upon something that we would have never stumbled upon had we tried to micromanage this conversation. And that's actually why Andrew and I typically don't send out questions to people because we want to have those kind of conversations. But that ego and that attachment and that control and I mean that's that's suffering, right? The you know the Buddha yeah. tells us that's how we suffer. Oh yeah, I hear that. 
that that attachment to the outcome and the and the and he really it's the ego's attachment mm-hmm. like you're saying mm-hmm. yeah and um and and letting go and, and not saying that you know there's there's no need for a plan of course there's a need for for a plan but that term micromanaging yeah i've always had such a difficult time with micromanaging um or working with people or for people around that and um that's perhaps one of those things around this project management thing that i'm doing you know because every little thing is covered anything that you know there's contingency plans and there's all these things and i and i just know that once once it gets rolling that nothing's going to actually right. go according to that plan yeah. there's just there's just too many too many variables that are outside of what we think we control or maybe inside of that too well that's literally all our lives like each of us could tell a story of the life we thought we were going to be living at this moment and <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> the life we're currently living. And we all laugh because it's like, it's like the, the phrase, you know, you know, tell God your plans and you'll probably laugh, you know, or make a plan and God will laugh at it. And it's the whole idea of like, think there's, there's other things going on. Mm-hmm. We don't have as much in control. Yeah. And, and one thing I witnessed firsthand uh, when my dad passed away, who had gone through that whole life of working for retirement for this glorious retirement that was going to come someday and then he would have bliss or i mean he wasn't referring to it as bliss but he would have this this dream scenario and you know he had retirement for like two years and, and then he passed away and that was a huge lesson for me in thinking that okay it's not all about like working to gain enough wealth to be able to retire at x age and and then i can have happiness and fulfillment um that was it was laid out pretty clear for me um and you know there's gratitude in that for for having to learn that but um you know maybe there's a lot of messages out there that uh that could be different and and more about living for the now and and paying attention to what really matters now uh rather than living for a, a desired outcome uh that's been painted for us 30 years down the road mm, so true mm-hmm. i have a theory about that hear it well the baby boomers they were they were special because they came after the greatest generation mm-hmm. so you have the greatest generation creating the baby boomers and they have things that nobody's ever had in human history luxuries like we've never seen before like you know boats and big houses and like you know um luxury cars and like multiple things and just yeah the only people that ever had that before were maybe like kings, kings and queens yeah. And, yeah. and like you know <laughs> royalty right for sure whereas whereas the rest of the rest of us well we didn't have that so it was it, it was huge and then we're all pretty much products of of the of, of the baby boomers gen x or whatever they call us and Mm-hmm. And we bought into it because we wanted approval from our parents who were baby boomers. Mm-hmm. And then some of us have gotten wise to it and going, wow, it's kind of bullshit, actually. <laughs> <laughs> like, what am I doing? Um, <laughs> and it's, I, I see it happening a lot around midlife, like mm-hmm. between 35, 45. People are like, oh, wow, okay, this isn't actually this isn't actually what I want to be doing, you know, work until that retirement to just do nothing or whatever. Yeah. And I say, 
Oh man, I'm so thankful for for uh, millennials. I think they get a horrendous rap, but realistically, millennials have said, "No, you know what? You've created this world, and it's actually really shit." <laughs> like in the way of in the way of, I don't want to work nine to five for my whole entire like go to school my whole youth go to work my whole adult life to retire when i'm old who made up that life i don't want it and then when they come to work and they say i don't want that or i want to be this or i want to be that and and then we look at them and go well you know it can't be done that way mm-hmm. because we did it this way oh we are so wrong i think you know, your I think your point about millennials is 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 bang on. Like with my business, Lush, most of my employees are millennials, mm-hmm. and I've had to learn to adapt to to f- so that I can experience success as a business owner and that they can last longer. And part of that adapting is is exactly what you're saying. Like they're not in it to to make you know me me tons of money. They don't they don't give a shit about that, right? And that's that's what it was all about for for decades is like you work for me to make me rich and you may or may not become rich yourself yeah so if if we can kind of get back into the the framework of attention um which i think it still relates how does one go about paying attention and listening to what is really important to them like what's really going on inside and what they they value like in the case of millennials valuing lifestyle rather than just paying attention to whatever messages are, are coming in from the outside, whatever the status quo is, and, and, and whatever uh, corporations generally, yeah. uh, media messages, are, are suggesting that we should be doing. Hmm. Community comes to mind. And in that community is... is um, is is a lot of connection and conversation something that i find really missing in in a lot of places i can't remember how if i, I don't know 10 years other than a house where i just drove into all the neighbors that just drive into the garage <laughs> and then close the door after them and and we, we never really see see them very much and i how that how that blends into attention is is that you know we're i think in north america anyway we're predominantly focused inward like it's all about me mm-hmm. i remember being being at the uh being at the dive unit for instance i didn't see anything really out outside of that that was like we were really really important <laughs> and, but it, 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 yeah. in the global picture it's like you know that wasn't that important like mm-hmm. you know like Lush does a lot of great work for people, but in the big picture, oh, like that's not—it's not all about that, right? Absolutely. And um, and so there's something about community and, and connection, and also like looking at the bigger picture. So, I think that as far as the attention goes, if you're unclear about the bigger picture, or if you're if you haven't painted that picture of what you want that world to be like. It's really easy just to go inward and just grind out each each day with these micromanaged little tasks. And I think that that's what the distractions really are. Mm. Are like they're like they're kind of numbing, 
but more or less, they're just these things that make us feel good in the moment because we've accomplished something or because, um, yeah, because we've done something and we can feel good for ourselves for, for, uh, for a second. I don't know. Like if I pick up this phone, I'm really aware now that this phone, even just touching it, is connection for me. And that's why I pick it up in the morning. And I have to realize, oh, if I put my attention into this, it actually takes me away from the real connection, which I know, John, you can relate, and I'm, and I'm sure, Andrew, you can too, the real connection of like, hey, I went out for a hike this morning and really got into presence with all of the trees and the Absolutely. animals and the people that were on that trail this morning. And that's connection to me. Mm-hmm. No, absolutely. We, one of the reasons I wanted to bring you on, we wanted to bring you on was because you've always done well with paying attention to your values. And was that something you had to learn? Yes. Short answer. I'm still learning. Mm-hmm. If I compromise my values, then I'm out of integrity. Mm-hmm. If I so if I compromise my values or when I compromise my values, then I'm out of integrity. And that could be not not saying my not speaking my truth. It could be not doing something that I say I'm going to do, um, committing to something and then pulling out of it, which is I've done a lot of that. Mm-hmm. And um, and when I'm out of integrity, then what happens is that no matter how much well-being practices I give myself, like in whatever realm of well-being my my um here i'll use this cup for i, I like this cup this cup <laughs> yeah will always have holes in it and i'll never be able to fill it up mm-hmm. right so the well-being is just it's really it's not ever filling my cup is what well-being really should but without being in integrity then i'm just like yeah so that's and the values piece yeah, it's a practice every single day. Mm-hmm. And that and that really is is about making a choice. Like you know, what am I going to what am I going to do today that's going to keep me in integrity? I think just knowing, like knowing that isn't enough either. There has to be some sort of support and structure, accountability, something around me doing what I know to be right. Mm-hmm. Cuz I don't always do that. Yeah, and I think that that's the human condition. I mean, that that yeah. everyone can relate to that. Um, maybe just as a as a way of wrapping up, because I I know we could probably continue uh, down this this road for for a, a full episode, but uh, we're I don't want to say <laughs> we're not micromanaging here, but we're uh, you know <laughs> yeah. no, we're, no, it's a little it's a micro episode. Um, well done. But how as someone who has done a lot of work here and and thinks about prioritizing values what advice might you give someone as as kind of a first step or or a way of of just bringing a little bit more of that mindset into their lives choose your values get really really clear you can find values a list of values on online for free get really clear on what your values are and don't prioritize them like one isn't more important than the other. 
Hmm. If you if you live or operate outside of your values, any one of them, then that integrity piece is going to be compromised. And with that, you know, like there's there's a big there's a big piece in here about forgiveness, and I think I may have I may have spoke to that on on our episode together. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, you did. It was great. Yeah, not just not just forgiving others, but but um, but forgiving self when when you do operate outside those values, just mm. knowing that they are your values and they're they're like a they're like a light that that you can follow, and just knowing that as much light that you follow and the the greater life that you create for yourself the more joy the more everything that you create there's going to be an equal and opposite darkness that's mm. going to be wanting to pull you back mm. so there's always a choice between you know that light and that dark and choosing is really tough to do alone and i think that's where the community community comes in having somebody you can talk to or call and say hey I really want to go to this dark thing here, but man, I see the light right there. Hmm. You can help me out. Perfect. Well, I, I think that's an incredible image to wrap up with. So mm-hmm. um, thank thank you for for illustrating that and and for uh, for being back and 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 sharing more. It, it was a an absolute pleasure to to connect again. For me too. Thank you. Yeah. Thanks, Wade. So just wanted to welcome you back, Maeve. Maeve McGuire to the podcast. You've been kind of on twice now. You were you were our our first ever episode one uh, year ago. Uh, one year ago, we had you as our guest, and then um, you were you were kind enough to bring Sonia first now to the podcast as well. Uh, mm-hmm. Someone you work very closely with, who is the deputy leader of the Green Party mm-hmm. here in British Columbia. That's right. Happy to be back. <laughs> Are you ready? Let's do it. Are you paying attention? I've turned my phone off. <laughs> okay. I'm just the screen. The screen is dark. That's a that's a big first step. Um, it is. So yeah, this is our topic on attention and the commodity of attention, the precious commodity of attention, and I think we'll start by just asking, what in your life do you think takes more of your attention than it should or more than you'd like it to? Well, I think the default answer for most people who live in our society is going to be their device. Yeah. I use it for work, and so it's easy to rationalize picking it up just to check on some work-related thing that probably didn't need to be checked on and then getting distracted by all of the rest of the fun stuff that's out there. Um, yeah, but you don't just have like just some like little job where you got to check on like the little store or whatever that you do. Like you're following <laughs> perhaps the future leader of the Green Party, correct? Yeah, yeah. So, so you need your so phone for that. that. <laughs> but again, like I, I think actually her husband Blaze, uh, Sonia's husband Blaze, is the one who is reading about attention specifically and how our productivity isn't necessarily better when we're constantly looking that we would be better to compartmentalize our time. Right. So, mm-hmm. and it does make sense. I don't need to reply to an email immediately. It can wait an hour if 
it may, if it means in that hour I'm doing something else, like talking to you guys. Um, so I think that we, I can do better at that. I know I can do better at that, at putting the phone down when I'm doing other things, especially when I'm with my family. Yeah, so that's probably the 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 greatest problem is it the worst defense is when I'm doing it unnecessarily, yeah. and I'm with the kids. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so I was just going to ask about the cost. The cost of paying attention to something like your phone, which is, a, I mean, it's an example that everyone relates to because it's so prevalent. And 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 what is the what is the effect of doing that over something like your your family? Well, again, like I, I don't, I'm definitely not alone in this where people will, where the kids, when they see me, they'll ask me to put it away. I won't even realize that I've picked it up. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So talk about addiction, yeah. right? Um, and so it's, it's probably the cost to them will be, I mean, wasn't what Louis C.K., who I hate to, to quote here, but <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> he talked about how he remembers picking up his phone and being on his phone or whatever and his kid looked over and just the expression on his kid's face of resignation that the kid was so used to this and it was just a common thing for him to be ignored by his dad that that was his moment of sort of awakening to say oh this is probably having an effect on my on my kids in a way that I didn't realize Mm -hmm. and even knowing that I still do it right so yeah. There are there are definitely um, conversations that I need to have. Oh, and by the way, here I am as a role model to my teenagers coming up who, when they're on their devices, we get angry with them. What? <laughs> like, what hypocrisy? Yeah, yeah. I'm glad you brought that up. I was I was going to bring up that that other aspect of it is what you're te- is what you and I are teaching our kids when we do that. We're saying this yeah. is this is okay behavior because as we know, yeah. our, our kids, you know, they don't listen to what we say. They watch what we do and then model that, right? And yeah, so, exactly. Yeah. Yeah, there's the, the whole idea, the, the phrase that you hear, starving for attention, that it's mm. because attention feels good. It's because children mm. in particular need attention to to thrive, to feel significant, to, to feel worthy. And when we take that away from them, it, there, there's um, significant psychological effects and and not mm-hmm. not only with that parent child relationship but if our our coworkers or maybe our employees podcast or, partner doesn't or, respond to a text <laughs> i'm just like he hates me mhm right for sure but it it's it's that <laughs> not for sure but it's that that connection piece when yeah. when we are paying attention to someone we are connecting with them and if we don't pay attention to them it's like okay you're not important enough to to connect with right now yeah Mm -hmm. um yeah when and then our phone factors in and it's like we're permanently connected and if we're and if we don't respond to a text then it's not it's oh there was another comedian yeah there's another comedian who talks about i can't remember where i saw this but the phone buzzes. So he's talking to somebody face to face and then his phone buzzes. <laughs> he's just dying to see who it is yeah. that texted him. Oh, right? so true. <laughs> As though it mattered. Right. So I think we have a, we have a ways to go in. Um, this is pretty new still. 
right? So these devices are definitely addictive. They've got all of those wonderful things inside of them that keep us in our attention to them. And I can see how we now the more awareness we get in terms of the impact it has on the people around us when we're using them, we have already started to shift um, in society about what's acceptable in meetings, about turning them off, and when you're with your friends or at dinner parties. It used to be where if you ask somebody to turn your phone off, um, turn their phone off, they'd be super insulted, right? Or like, how can you mm-hmm. decide this is my personal liberty, right? No, there will still be people who feel that way. But it's become more acceptable to show up at somebody's house and put your phone away. In a way that we used to have all the phones on the table, um, I think we're evolving. Like some, you know, in some ways we're evolving. And so I think we can, will continue. And I wonder if for, for my kids, if this will be the same thing as it was for me with my parents when they were smoking. So they smoked when I was younger and I grew up, they quit. And so I grew up in a house where we didn't want to smoke because we saw what it was like when our parents smoked. Mm-hmm. Um, plus add all the education around that that came with it. Well, will they go through the same thing? So they didn't like being ignored when mommy and daddy had their devices out. So will they grow up remembering that feeling and then, uh, you know, not applying it in their homes too. So it could be one of those things where this generation just gets to be the one to learn this bit. We'll see. Here's maybe the uncomfortable truth about cell phones and those buzzing sounds and the notifications, the, the dings is we're distracted and we do look at it and nine times out of 10, maybe this is just, just me, but I don't think so. Nine times out of 10, you look at it and you're just kind of meh. Right, like you don't even respond. Exactly. You're it's like, even worth it. you're like, I got an email, and then you read it, and you're like, I probably should respond, but I don't really feel like it. And then, and then you just yeah. go back to it, or a social media response. Oh, somebody liked that, you know, sort of mediocre yeah. thing I just said. Cool, move yeah. on. It doesn't fill you. We keep going back to the well, expecting that maybe that one ding will finally like give us that thing we're looking for. But that thing we're looking for is looking at us, <laughs> asking for our attention in the form of our kids and our spouses. And instead, we're looking yeah. for it somewhere else, which is the insanity of the whole enterprise. It's, hmm. r- it's ridiculous. And conversely, so in those times when I don't have my, it's not like I'm sitting here with it attached to me all the time, but it's around the house. I can tell you the exact opposite happens that when I don't have my phone and I'm in the kitchen and I'm, just, I'm if I'm just cooking or folding laundry or, or doing some, some domestic work, um, the kids are at the table they're either coloring or doing their homework or, or reading or, or whatever. It's the most pleasant, stable environment. There, there's no mood swings. Mm-hmm. Everybody's chatty. Yeah. Where it, it is my, it's my favorite time of the day. Hmm. And so you would think that that would be enough positive reinforcement for me to not do it, not do the opposite, not pick up my phone and go and do something. The work certainly has a pull in a way that you know I didn't have a phone until 2017 hmm. we we had one we when we were living in London my husband and I um we had phones then and when we moved to Canada in 2003 we decided not to get a cell phone until we needed it because we knew how addictive it was like it was like the third limb for me mm-hmm. um for sure. third arm and so <laughs> yeah, I was like, I, <laughs> you only have two limbs <laughs> yeah yeah no, I <laughs> oh did i not mention um <laughs> yeah, that's why we can't see you right now yeah it, it has <laughs> been a while since 
yeah. yeah, so it was like a third arm. So yeah. anyway, um, we didn't get them, and we didn't need them, mm-hmm. and we still didn't need them. And even though there were like, you know, twice I'd wished that Richard had a phone in a decade, and I'm not even exaggerating, and we have three kids who were driving all over the place. We just organized ourselves in the same way we used to do it before we had phones. It was, it's a miracle. Right. And, mm. and so we, we got, I had to get a phone for work. Sonia insisted I get one. And I was so reluctant because I knew what it was going to do to me. And so I got it anyway. And sure enough, <laughs> there I am fully addicted. This is before smartphones. I was addicted and now. Wait, you were addicted to the flip phone? <laughs> yeah. Texting. What? Yeah, what could yeah. you even do on that phone? Text, I guess, right? And you could call. Well, I lived in, yeah, you could call. <laughs> Does anyone that. do that? Um, yeah. No, even then. Even, so I lived in a big city where my friends lived very far away from me. And so the only path to connection was through that phone. And, and when you're meeting somebody somewhere, you know, in, a, in that kind of mind, it's a lot easier when you can just text and say, I'm right here. Um, and it just becomes this, this addiction. Mm-hmm. And anyway, so we didn't, I didn't need it. No. So, and I finally got one and now it's, it's, we're back. We're back to the same dependency on whatever it is. Yeah. So a question about that, using the words like addiction and dependency and, and it, they're all pretty familiar to our, our phone use. And it's that whole idea of like it being out of control and like it, it makes a noise and immediately look at it and i'm wondering i think the the opposite of that that the solution to it might be more intentional use of the phone and and regaining control over that device that we purchase and get excited about and we think is going to improve our lives so how might we be more intentional uh, with our phone use I think it's going to take a lot of discipline to get to that place. And there are moments when I'm sure we all experience that discipline. Um, you know, like I went for three months without using social media. Mm-hmm. Um, it felt great. Mm-hmm. And then I had to use it once or twice or whatever. And then I was back in it again. Yeah, I sucked back in. Um, so I think you know, it almost needs to cost more. Right, like we, as I, I guess I come from the school of thought that if it costs, it's the biggest deterrent to behavior. So the more penalty there is, the more unlikely I'm going to do it. Um, so as long as it's fairly inexpensive to access and free in a lot of cases, I don't know that it's ever going to, it's ever going to change behavior but- until unless, like an addiction. Unless you intentionally do it, and oh God, there's this guy um, I was joking with about Netflix and how we were saying we needed Netflix Anonymous, right? Because right. Yeah. you just you just get into a show, and the next thing, yeah. seven seasons later, and you look up, and you know they did mm-hmm. those ads about it too. Yeah, um, and he said he lived on a boat, and he said it was as bad as he would get on the boat, he'd pick up his iPad. And even before he had sat down, he had picked a show that was already on, right? Like we and we, so we need that kind of. Maybe that's what it is, Andrew. It's like a con, a collective, supportive 
environment. But the one time I quit social media, Sonia did too. So we both cut out for a, a while. I can't remember how long. I did I say three months, something like that. Mm-hmm. And all we would do is post work stuff, but we wouldn't engage. And she did it too. And so because the two of us were doing it, there was that kind of supportive network. And that might be the best way to do it. Has that changed your relationship with social media as a result of... That's my bird clock in the background. Okay, I was wondering, is that an actual notification right now? Um, She's like, just a sec, I got to see someone more important than yeah. me right now. It sounds like Twitter. Yeah, that's right. That's my Twitter She's live tweeting this right now. I'm on obstacle course, bitches. That's the Twitter alarm. You haven't been on it for 10 minutes. Yeah, what are yeah. you doing? Um, yeah. So yeah, has that that fast of social media that you took changed your relationship with social media now? It might have at the time, but it was quickly unlearned. It, the really funny thing was we, the first sort of 24 hours, I was feeling like I was missing out on news and I was like, oh God, where am I going to, I need to see what's going on in the world. And it never occurred to me, <laughs> at least initially, to go to the actual news website because I was so reliant on Twitter and somebody curating my news for me that I didn't think I should go to, you know, BBC or CBC or, or whatever. And so I did one morning. I'm like, Hey, well, I can just go to CBC. And it was so great. Nobody told me what story I should like or not like. (laughs) Nobody provided the comment on the story before I had an opportunity to read the story and, you know, put my own opinion on it. It was fantastic. I do it some, but lately because of the sort of, you know, the protests and mm-hmm. um, the federal, the, the issues around oil and gas, because that news is happening so quickly and things are changing so quickly, social media is the quickest place to get it, to get the updates. So here's a thought. So, um, is it possible... Like we're talking about ways to to not just be addicted to our phone, and you were you were saying maybe it should cost more. Maybe we need to have like a phone anonymous. Um, I mean, the other <laughs> thing, very practical, is they actually have a do not disturb function on the phone for this purpose, where we could we could just slide that on. I do it all the time, and it really helps. I often leave my phone in the vehicle if I don't need it at a place. Um, like those kind of things help. But I think, and we've talked about this on other episodes with other addictions. I think identifying what what it is that the phone is giving us that we're not getting somewhere else Mm. like like why do we prefer like what do we need from the phone that for whatever reason our habits aren't giving us somewhere else and if we identify those maybe we can get them in more productive and positive ways than than hoping that a little box in our pocket is gonna you know fill us up or satisfy us in in the way Mm -hmm. we're looking for what yeah. am I looking for? Yeah, no, oh, you don't God. have to answer that. It's pretty personal, but but I need to. I, I guess I just need to listen to your podcast more, and then I might find out. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Pay attention to us, think, Maeve. That's what we're too, saying here. <laughs> I think there's another. I mean, this is like anything, right? Any void filler. Mm-hmm. Um, it's just another opportunity for us to master our, I guess, our decisions. And yeah. our behavior and our choices. And if you look at it like that as a challenge, I certainly would 
Uh, it would be an interesting way to look at it. I, yeah. um, again, on the on the opposite side, I, I wonder if it comes down to personality. Um, yeah, definitely. We were out for a hike a little while ago with um, with a couple of friends who I don't normally hike with, and my friend's husband was Steve. Was wow, look at those look at those buds on that bush over there. They're like deep red and I was like yeah that's true I didn't notice those before and then oh look at this tree over here this is the most beautiful tree and he kept noticing noticing everything <laughs> it's like almost to the point of distraction for me right. because when I hike I'm in my head and I'm thinking things through and I like I barely notice that I'm <laughs> where I'm walking or anything and mm-hmm. um, his ability to attend to his environment was extraordinary to me mm-hmm. so I wonder personality wise you know and he's not addicted to his phone he's not he doesn't need whatever this thing is giving us um so i wonder partly if it comes down to who we are so is that personality or is that trained behavior could be could be yeah maybe he has no void to fill well and and are you saying personality could just be a cop-out andrew no i'm i'm just questioning I'm, i'm not it, it's not a not, not a judgment there and, and also the the void to fill i i take a bit of issue with like if you are addicted to your phone you're somehow less than someone who isn't mm-hmm. um or you're replacing something mm. it, it is it it's an addiction it's a it's a dopamine hit that you're mm-hmm. that you're feeding and and we are all prone to to that um that release and and the 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 chemistry that happens within our brains so i I don't want to suggest that, um, you know, people who don't, who aren't always on their phones are, are, um, you know, somehow better than, than people who are, are on them a lot. I Uh, don't know, Andrew, I sure feel better. Totally. Yeah. I think think what we're saying is there's better ways to get that though, isn't there? Than your phone. It's not means you're a better, more worthwhile person, but there is better, more healthy ways to get what you're looking for. Mm hmm. Well, okay, and the other side of this is that if I wasn't getting something positive out of the experience, I wouldn't be doing it, right? Well, so yeah, yeah. I, the, the, the fact that I'm able to use it for my work is extraordinary. It has made it possible for me to work outside of the box, outside of an office. I can work anywhere. Mm-hmm. And that has con- significantly contributed to my quality of life, right? So... Um, if my kid is homesick, I'm here with her. And um, <laughs> that's extraordinary if you, compared to what the alternative would have been. So, but, you know, it's not all bad. We're not all better. But if the question is at the very beginning was, what is it that I wish I, what well, was something related to how much, something that takes my attention too much, or and there may be a cost to that, um, this is, definitely the thing that comes to mind so then it comes back to discipline again which is what you brought up earlier yeah so yeah maybe and you know what after this conversation i'm probably going to make a more concerted effort (laughs) so so maybe as a as a final question something that i was thinking as you were describing your your hiking partner and and his observational abilities uh, how do you choose what is really important and and you you referred to your kids earlier but but maybe other things as as well how do you determine what's really important and what is fully deserving of your attention 
gosh, I don't know, like the the thing that makes fills up my cup, whatever makes me feel good, mm-hmm. whatever makes the world a better place. Um, kids, kids are all of those, right? So if I, if I have to think of where the priority pretty much always lies in my house, it's them, they're on top. So if I'm, if I'm doing anything, they're the thing that gets the most attention and the most attention first because they fill up my cup, I guess. Would it be correct to say maybe that the things that would be, that would be great to give our attention to are those things that stem from our values? Um, yeah, I guess. Uh, I don't know. I guess. So, so I've started reading more again. Mm-hmm. Is reading a value? Hmm. Is knowledge learning things a value? I don't know if I've ever would have, you know, expressed it that way. Mm-hmm. But I sure love it, and yeah. it's worth my time. And it's harder to it's hard to do with all the, <laughs> the distractions around me. It's hard to focus on a nonfiction book about politics <laughs> sometimes, right. yeah. especially when I do it all day. But when I once I've read it, I feel like I'm. I'm, everybody's going to be better for it because I'm involved in in a situation where we're trying to make changes to politics. So, um, is it a values thing? I don't know. Hmm. It just makes me feel good. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I mean, doing what makes you feel good, and as long as you know it's not hurting other people. Uh, That's <laughs> exactly right. It's hugely valid, Bill. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I want to just. Say thanks, Maeve. Uh, it, this is a, it's a interesting topic and, and it really felt like you were just like, we were part of the, the diving in experience with you here and, and it's asking people to be vulnerable to kind of assess how they prioritize their lives and, and it's not a, a, an easy thing to do or to look at and, and I appreciate you um, taking us along with you in that journey. It's always a pleasure to talk to you guys. Yeah, this is and extra you'll be special. Pleased to know, pleased to know, I only picked up my phone three times, and I never <laughs> once <laughs> opened it up. Well done. well done. It's a miracle. It's a miracle. This discipline. Yeah, I can do it. <laughs> totally. Cool. Um, well, thanks, Maeve, and uh, yeah, it was great to hear your voice once again. You too. Well, we're back with Mike Riley, who is actually our first three-time guest on the show. That's right. Because you came about a year ago when we were at the Your Entrepreneur Society Summit. Uh, You were a brief guest on that one. And Mm -hmm. then you were on for your whole episode talking about maybe financial attention or financial choices, how how that operates. Well, then let me say... Mike, my um, my right hand at work, Justin, um, noted your episode as being one of his top three that he's that he's listened to. He just loved how you made the connection between like money and the way in mindset. He said it just really shifted everything for him. And um, yeah, that's so that's a huge kudos. Well, I appreciate that. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah, so really the focus today is is on intention and really how that relates to our values and how we choose what we pay attention to and you know what things steal our attention away from us that that maybe we don't uh, do or allow that to happen consciously. So um, maybe a way to to kind of delve in here might be in a, a crazy busy guy where you not only have a, a, a full job, but you have a bunch of kids and you've got a, a lovely wife and, and then you have numerous volunteer commitments that um, that we talked about in, in length the last time you were on. But uh, how do you decide what is worthy of your attention? Well, I wish I had a good answer for that because it would certainly make things a lot easier. Uh, the um, temptation is always to get drawn off to the next thing that's fun and interesting. Uh, and being the kind of uh, personality that I am, I, I'm really good at starting things, but finishing is a real challenge. <laughs> yeah. um, so what I've learned to, to do over the years, and, and it's, a, it's a constant practice, uh, it's, it's never something that's, that's finished, is decide, oh, if I got nothing else done today, what's the one thing that had to be done in order for, for today to have been a success? And what that does is it, it sets the foundation for the level of activity that I'm going to have through the day. Um, because even once you've done that, it doesn't mean that it's finished because new temptations and, and fires are going to you know, take your, your attention. Uh, you know, my one thing to get done today was not to have been on an obstacle cast <laughs> or a podcast. <laughs> But the opportunity came along. I, I wanted to, to add my two cents to it and, uh, yeah. and be in a conversation with you two. So then, of course, you have to think, okay, what has to shift? Uh, what am I not going to get done? And then uh, the hardest thing, especially for those of us that, like you two gentlemen who are engaged in the community and, and looking to make a positive change, is being able to say no. Yeah. So does the thing that has now grabbed my attention, is it going to derail my, my one uh, accomplishment, my one goal for the day? And if so, now I have to balance and, and say, is, that, is it worth changing my plan? Or is this the instance where I'm going to have to say thanks, but no thanks? Mm -hmm. In terms of the, the logistics of that, that one purpose for the day or one specific task, is that something that you write out every morning? Does it go in a day planner? Is it a, a mental exercise that you go through in, in terms of determining that thing? If it's just a mental thing, it's more likely to get sidetracked. Mm -hmm. uh, I'm not the first person to say goals that are written down are more likely to be accomplished. So that requires the discipline in the morning to take, or the night before, but for me, it happens in the morning, is to open up my paper calendar and look to see what are the appointments that I have, and that de defines what my one thing to do is. And sometimes it's as simple as I have to prepare for a meeting. I've got to get all the client notes together. I've got to make sure that uh, if I'm expecting to do an application for some type of, of a financial solution that that's all in place. Um, and then, you, or if it's, I have to make 10 phone calls today, then that has to be written down. 
these are I'm going to make 10 phone calls and these are the 10 people that I'm going to contact uh, because if it as I said if it's not written down then it's too easy for the the new fun things or or flaming things to to derail me well you're in good company Mike because uh, Benjamin Franklin um, legendarily would start every day by writing down the question what good shall I do today and then he would write it down. And then at the end of the day, he wrote down the question, what good did I do today? Right. And that, that really framed his, his life. Um, so, yeah, I, I agree. Writing it down uh, makes a huge difference. Yeah. And, and you raise an interesting point, too, John, to reflect at the end of the day uh, is a very effective tool. And one I know I should do and not I don't do frequently enough. Mm-hmm. Um, and I have... You've you've interviewed Peter McCoppin? Yes. Yeah, so Peter taught me a technique a number of years ago where at the end of the day, uh, I have three questions that, that I have to look back on. Uh, what went well today? What were what was challenging today? And what are my opportunities for tomorrow? Hmm. And so those then sort of put a bow on what it was that I wanted to get accomplished during the day. Yeah, for sure. So... You speak to a great point in in the sense that sometimes we know strategies that work really well for us and we know why they work, we know how they work, but yet we still have a have trouble utilizing them. And yeah. and likely it's because we're paying attention to something else. And so I'm curious what some of those things might be that continually trip up your attention or interfere with your attention um, from something that that may or may not be more important or useful. Sure, I, I'm really glad that you you brought that up, Andrew. Uh, I've I don't know whether I mentioned to you that I hired a coach uh, just before the the beginning of the year, and, and I've been working uh, to try and overcome some of the obstacles that that I seem to struggle with. And even though I'm aware of all of those things, it's still uh, an issue. Mm-hmm. And we actually did kind of a breakthrough this last week where I said almost exactly that. I said, why is it that I know I should, at the end of every day, write down my three questions? And I know on Sundays I should plan out my week and make sure that I have everything in place. And what what it appears, and maybe this is just an over oversimplified explanation, is that there's a component of my ego or my amygdala that is fixated on the fact that I've told myself stories over the year that I'm, I'm, I'm never prepared for things or I'm always in a panic or it feeds on that adrenaline of just flying by the seat of my pants and, and uh, improvising on the spot. And so in the evening or on the Sunday afternoon when my rational mind says, let's sit down for half an hour and get the important work done, my, there's a battle then with my ego or my amygdala or whichever component of my my personality sphere that says screw that uh, we're gonna we're gonna find some other reason to not do that so that first thing tomorrow uh, on Monday you're gonna be in a panic and I'm gonna get that adrenaline spike. Interesting. Yeah, and it's mind blowing that the the thing that that I know is in my best interest sabotages me so that it can keep getting that feed of of the story so um 
and, and I and I think this applies to all aspects of our lives. So in the financial world, people know that if they're supposed to be setting aside 10 to 20 percent of their income for for the future and investing, and uh, but if they they don't do that because there's some component of their personality that has told them, oh, you're the person that's always in financial distress. Therefore, I'm going to create a new, I'm going to continue the paradigm of you always being in financial distress and override your rational good behavior or the person that has dietary issues or exercise issues or everything else that we struggle with as human beings. So what, what I'm naturally curious about then is how might you be able to, assuming you do want to change this habit because, you know, perhaps it, it does work and it, it has gotten you this far and, and, and maybe it, it is the, the solution or the, the system that you want to keep in place. But it, just assuming for a second that you do want to bring the attention to the rational brain, Mm-hmm. What would your strategy look like for for doing that, for finding that clarity, for the rational brain to to come through in in those moments? So the the technique that I'm currently using is actually one that's counterintuitive. Uh, you grow as a competitive person, you're sort of taught to beat down the opposition. And yeah. you know, through my sh- sheer repetition and character, uh, I'm going to subdue my ego because it's not serving me. But that just makes it quite harder. Mm-hmm. So what uh, what I've been taught to do, and and so far, and, and it's it's going to seem um, a little hoo hoo that uh, you, that you forgive yourself for that. So you know, I forgive myself for forgetting that uh, that I. I don't have to live in panic or that I'm, I, I forgive myself for, for feeling like I'm always disorganized. Uh, I forgive myself for forgetting that I am a, as accomplished as I need to be and that I can continue to move forward and serve in the capacity that, that I have. And th- this method of clearing that away it is intended to, to soothe the ego, to recognize that it has a certain need and um, and by giving it that attention, rather than ignoring it or fighting it, giving it the attention that it that it needs to to recognize um, that we're all carrying this baggage of stories we've been telling ourselves for years, uh, and giving it, it a chance to to let those go. You know, once again, Mike, I'm I'm relating to so much of what you're saying. Um, we we really need to get together for coffee. <laughs> but, but, but anyways. Don't, don't tell Andrew. Um, no, no. <laughs> well, I said we, all of us. <laughs> but um, but the one thing I, that, that occurred to me is the ego is is listening right now <laughs> to this conversation. Yeah. And, <laughs> and he knows that we have plans to kind of put him on the outside. And so he's already working, you know, with his own plan to make sure that doesn't happen. And the way that that shows in my own life is instead of the ego saying things like... Um, you know, something obvious that's like, uh, I just do better when I'm in a panic. It's going to say something that's actually kind of noble sounding. Like, mm. you know, I just, you know, it's it's good to live in the moment. You know, so okay. so it's really saying the same thing. But but you begin to think, well, that's actually a good thing then. And you almost mm-hmm. see something that's a, that's not serving you well as, as a noble thing. And so that perhaps that keeps me doing the same thing. And, sure. and um, so, so it's discerning that voice and being like, wait a second, is that just the ego, 
you know, putting his smart glasses on and, and <laughs> saying something wise, or you know, is that actually um, a value that I want to have? And and I mm-hmm. think I think that can be a challenge, but but it's worthwhile reflecting on. Yeah, and we make the mistake of of feeling that the ego is entirely uh, working against us, which which isn't true. It it, right. it serves right. uh, important needs or important purposes and creating a whole person as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah, for sure. Well, like Jason said, right? Ego is coming along whether we like it or not. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and it it served a purpose at some point, and then we have just, you know, we've overused that that purpose that it was trying to serve. It, it at some point that that habit of, you know, I'm in a panic. I need to get this stuff done. It was helpful, right. but mm-hmm. when when it becomes the only way we know how to operate, um, and it demands all of our p- attention by being our, our go-to reflex, um, then it, became, it, it becomes uh, problematic. Yeah, I think you hit the nail on, on the head, Andrew, because it, it, if we're talking about attention, unless you're willing to give the various aspects of your personality attention and, and examine why do I feel the way that I do, why do I act the way that I do, how have past decisions affected my life, uh, you, you're you're never going to be able to move forward, and and it, it's difficult and it's painful. Uh, it, so for someone to sit down and say, "I'm going to examine you know, where it is that I struggle and where it is that I excel, and what are the reasons for that," and give attention to your ego, your super ego, your id, which ones of those are in balance, and certainly doing it with someone with uh, with some guidance. Well, and I'm, and, you know, I think it's safe to assume that mindfulness and meditation are, are two tools we can use to to help us begin to see what the ego's up to, and and to to kind of be ahead of that. Right. Um, do, do, have you found any specific tools like that 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 have helped you get better at that? Yeah, I I use a meditation technique right now that uh, uh, identifies thoughts, hmm. so. For the listeners who've never meditated, uh, I know there's a um, a belief that meditation is a clear mind. And, well, I, I can't meditate because I just can't control my mind is often a reason why people don't. And it's just not true. You can never stop your thoughts. Meditation is a practice of, of being aware of thoughts mm-hmm. and then moving past them, as uh, as they say, like, like clouds across the sky. And so what I've... What I've learned now, which is currently effective, is to identify the thought as it comes in, like, oh, that's a plan, or that's a hope, or that's a memory, or that's a wish, or you know, uh, any number of other things. And then you say, oh, I, I recognize what that is in terms of the thought that it is, and then then it can go away. Yeah, it's a, it's a super useful technique, but one that absolutely requires practice because the the... The reality is everyone is awful at meditation when they start meditation. It's just, <laughs> you, it's just inherent. And it, it tra- takes perseverance to just begin to get a rhythm. And that's why they, they call it a practice, right? Yeah. Because, because that's what's required. It's diligent practice. Um, Although you're not supposed to admit to being awful at meditation. No. <laughs> <laughs> Oops. <laughs> you're supposed to just be like, hmm, Interesting. <laughs> so maybe one kind of final question I, I had because um, we we could go on, but uh, these are are meant to be little micro episodes. Um, 
for someone who has a lot going on and and I say that with a bit of a grain of salt because it I feel like everyone says how busy they are all the time um, but we we do choose our lives and we choose our our routines and so it you know we choose our busyness as well but for for someone who has a a, a very full life um, it requires some pause to be be able to go back and and pay attention to each of those decisions and habits and and kind of the what's going on beneath the surface so i was wondering um was there any was there any um turning point or was there what was the motivation to find time to take that pause to really pay attention to to what was going on a little bit deeper and and be able to to maybe restructure habit systems or, or ways of thinking that that um, does require a, a big demand of attention this year when i looked back at 2019 and realized that i didn't accomplish a number of things that i had wanted to come to accomplish both professionally and personally uh, I had to consider that that old adage that if you continue to do what you've always done, you'll continue to get what you've always had. Mm-hmm. So I knew that without some fairly significant shifts in in my um, in my practice, th- that I wouldn't be able to. I'd get you know, incrementally better, but it wouldn't get me to where I wanted to go. So you know we can continue to drift along in a state of uh, of unaware and and still be fine. You know, those of us who, who live in in North America and are of a middling socioeconomic class, and life is pretty good. So uh, so why make any difference? And for so many people, they don't make a change until there's a point of pain or loss. Um, I, I wanted to be out ahead of that and say I, I recognize that the successful people that I look up to work with a coach, they meditate, they write their goals down. Why is it that I'm, that I'm not doing that? And what's it going to take for me to shift my, um, my behaviors that way and, and give attention to those, to those things that serve me better. And, and I just wanted to make quickly a remark on, on the aspect of busyness. You're, you're absolutely right. Everybody's busy. Um, and, and I'll sometimes just, facetiously I'll, I'll say this to someone as well i'm just too busy to do that i'll say well you remember when you were single and you met a girl or guy that you were you were really excited about it, would you have would you still have been too busy to have spent time with them if the opportunity came up or would you you know, made other choices and priorities mm-hmm. so you're absolutely right it's all about choices if there's something that's important to you 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 move uh you move mountains in order to to do that so it's not that you're not busy. It's just that the thing that, that we're talking about you may be doing isn't important to you. Yeah. Well, Mike, uh, this was as great as it always is. And uh, you, you and John can go for your coffee. You don't have to invite me, but then but we're going to go for one too. So, uh, Excellent. Well, I, I always enjoy uh, speaking with you two gentlemen. You have uh, the best questions in the business. Thanks a lot. Well, thanks, Mike. All right. I'll talk to you soon. Okay. Adios. Well, that's the episode. Thanks for tuning in, everyone. If you liked what you heard here, 
Check out the website. ObstacleCoursePodcast.com. That's where you can subscribe, check out the show notes. And if we have one request, we'd ask you to leave us a kind review and perhaps share this episode. It's not because we have fragile egos. Well. But because we want other great people like you to benefit. Speaking of great people, we have a list of people we want to thank. We've got our senior technical advisor, Andy Robertson. Our media partner and web designer, Sticky Media. And of course, our host and snack coordinator, Judy Langford. Oh, peanut butter cookies. You can continue the conversation on Instagram and Facebook at Obstacle Course Podcast and on Twitter at Obstacle Pod. Thanks for tuning in, everyone. Keep pushing through those obstacles.